hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, there's been quite a bit of what I think is interesting news flow over the last week since we last did the show. Elon Musk, last week, the chairman and CEO of Tesla, was sued by the SEC over his social media post regarding the future of his company. And no surprise, the stock got hammered. At first, it looked like he was going to go to court over the matter, but then he rethought his position and decided to sell the ca- uh, settle the case, which sent the stock higher, of course. The settlement requires him to step down as Tesla's chairman within 45 days, and he can't seek re-election for three years. Now, he's still going to be the CEO, just not the chairman of the company. It's still Elon Musk's company. He also has to pay $20 million as a fine, as does Tesla itself. All this means is I'd still look at Fiat Chrysler, symbol FCAU, if it dips below 17. Sunday night, the U.S. and Canada reached a deal on the trade agreement. So now we have a new NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Man Agreement, which includes Mexico. The market loved it on Monday and forgot about it on Tuesday. The new agreement is called the, get this, United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement or the USMCA. Now, come on. You would have thought with all the back and forth and the drama surrounding this thing, they could have come up with a better name, something a bit more catchy than the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. As part of the agreement, Canada opens up some of their dairy markets to the U.S. producers, and it also requires more of a car to be produced in North America in order for that car to be exempt from tariffs. Investors don't really seem like they care all that much because Ford and GM are still pretty much where they were last year, uh, last week. So again, look at Fiat Chrysler under 17. Now, enough of that. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. So glad you could join us today. We have a whole lot of ground to cover. We're going to be talking about the state of the markets, earnings. That's right. Earnings season kicks off next Friday with the big banks releasing their numbers. Now, besides Tesla and the USMCA, I failed to mention that the Fed raised interest rates by a quarter of a point last week. Last year was the year of global synchronized growth. And this year is turning out to be the year where desynchronization is the name of the game. Here at home, the economy's firing on all cylinders. And most of the rest of the world, well, they're struggling to stay afloat. This divergence in economic outcomes has been mirrored in central bank policy. The Fed is hiking rates at once a quarter, whereas most other central banks, well, they're just kind of sitting on their hands. The question is, how much higher can U.S. rates go? Well, I think a lot higher than what investors are anticipating. When I did the math, The market expects the Fed funds rate to increase to 2.37% by the end of this year. And 
2.84% by the end of next year. And then there's no uh, hikes priced in for 2020 and beyond. Apparently, the market is convinced that rates can't go above 3%. Now, I'll save this discussion for another show because it's going to take some time to lay it all out. But I think there are several things that could push rates higher than 3% over the long term. Number one, fiscal policy is extremely stimulative. Number two, credit growth is picked up. We've also had wage growth accelerating. And lastly, the savings rate is at 6.7%, which is much higher than you would expect it when you compare it to a household's net worth. In the short term, meaning over the next couple of months, you could see rates go down. We have the midterm elections coming up and you could get a market sell-off. And if you do, then you could see a flight to safety. Simply put, people selling stocks and buying bonds. Demand drives the price of bonds up and the yields lower. For now, the stock market keeps chugging along. On the outside, things look pretty good. But when you look under the hood, well, things don't look as great. No doubt, the healthiest markets occur when the uptrend is uh, broad-based and everything is going up. That's not the case now. Over the last several weeks, as the markets have moved higher, there's been as many stocks hitting new 52-week highs as there are hitting new 52-week lows. As As I sit here, the Dow is up almost 8% for the year. And the S&P is up about 9.5%. And the NASDAQ is up over 16%. But it would probably surprise most people if I told them that about 40% of the stocks in the S&P are down for the year. That's right. 40% of the stocks in the S&P are down for the year. With, so that means we only have a small number of stocks doing all the heavy lifting. Virtually all the gains for the year have been concentrated in just three sectors, tech, healthcare, and consumer discretionary. It might also come as a surprise to some folks that while the NASDAQ is close to a record high, less than half the stocks in that index are trading above their 200-day moving average. As I said earlier, the U.S. economy is doing well and the rest of the world is struggling. It's the same with the markets. We're doing great while the emerging markets are down and the developing markets are, well, let's call it flattish. The best markets are when everyone is enjoying the party. In the near term, anything can happen. We all know that. It wouldn't surprise me if the market sold off. We have earnings kicking off here soon, midterm elections coming up, and a whole host of other things that could knock us off course. But I'll say what I've been saying. I think we end the year on new highs. If we do get a setback, it'll be one that you want to buy because I think we rally into the end of the year. Keep your eye on the big picture, but let the fundamentals make the real decisions. Buy good businesses at good prices. So we're kicking off earnings season next week when the banks start to release their quarterly numbers next Friday. 
I thought I'd step back and take a look at what the analysts are expecting as far as earnings are concerned. Typically, they start off overly optimistic at the beginning of the quarter. And as time goes on, they adjust their numbers lower. Over the last quarter, they've dropped their estimates for the S&P by about 1.1%. They've gone from $41 down to $40.54. That's for the whole S&P 500. Now, by comparison, over the last five years, they dropped their estimates by 3.2%. Over the last 10 years, they've fallen by 4.8%. And over the last 15 years, if we really want to stretch it out here, over the last 15 years, analysts on average have dropped their earnings estimates by 3.9% during the quarter. So they've only lowered it 1.1%. They haven't lowered their estimates like they have in the past. Now, this makes me wonder if the bar is set too high and sets us up for some disappointments come next week. I've mentioned that the strong U.S. dollar should start impacting the large multinational earnings. If you're a global business, a percentage of your business is transacted overseas. That's pretty straightforward. When you take that overseas money that you've earned and you convert it back into U.S. dollars, you're getting less U.S. dollars now. So that means less in earnings. Pepsi, symbol PEP, they released their earnings on Tuesday And it was the last earnings for the CEO who's retiring. And I have to say, I think she's done a remarkable job during her tenure at the company. Hate to see her go. But Pepsi beat uh, both revenue and earnings estimates, which is the 10th consecutive quarter that they delivered a positive earnings surprise. Revenue was up one and a half percent for the quarter. Earnings per share came in at $1.75, which was up 18% year over year. But currency had a negative headwind for them, and they adjusted their numbers going forward. I think this might be the story we hear more of once earnings earnings season gets going. You also saw the North American beverages operating profit declined by 14% because of increased transportation cost and higher commodity cost. All in all, I didn't think the numbers were all that terrible. The stock is trading at about 109 with a pretty healthy dividend. If you look forward, I think they earn about $6.05 next year, which means you'd be paying about 18 times forward earnings for it if you bought it now at that at 109. If I could buy it for about 17 times earnings, well, I'd be willing to nibble, meaning I'd buy a half position. If you do all that math, that puts that buy at about $105. 17 times earnings for a high quality company like Pepsi, I don't think is outrageous. Yes, they may continue to face some headwinds from input prices and currency headwinds, but over the long term, Those types of things correct themselves. I'd buy Pepsi for the really long term, not a quick flip. I'd buy it at 17 times earnings. And while you own it, you'll be collecting that 3.4% dividend. That's the one that they've been raising for the last 46 years in a row. 
they've grown that dividend on average of 8% a year for the last five years and by 9.5% on average for the last 10 years. Now, let me step away, take a short break. When I come back, I want to talk about one of my favorite stocks. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. If you have a question for the show, drop us a line at podcast at xmlfg.com. Once again, it's podcast, which is plural, at xmlfg.com. I want to revisit a stock. I'm going to go back to a stock that I haven't talked about in a while, and it's Snap-on. Snap-on is symbol S-N-A, not Snapchat. Don't make that mistake. We're talking about Snap-on, S-N-A. Snap-on is the one that has earnings. It has free cash flow. It pays a dividend, and it has a pretty pretty good balance sheet. Snapchat, well, it doesn't have any of these. Snap-on makes tools and diagnostic equipment for the professional mechanic. You've probably seen one of their vans driving around. The majority of their business, about 70%, is auto-related, and the rest is aircraft, oil, and gas, and they also have a financing arm, which does pretty well, too. I look at Snap-on as an industrial company. On the auto side of things, the aging fleet drives the demand for auto repair. The average age for for a car on the road now is over 11 years. What happens is new cars are produced and the older cars get scrapped. And by my guesstimate, we're probably adding about a half million new cars to the fleet every year, which is great for Snap-on because newer cars are more complex and they require new tools and technologies. Now, the fly in the ointment here has been the tools division. They just haven't grown over the last couple of years, but I think they're on track to deliver positive growth this quarter. If you look at Value Line, and people ask me why I always talk about Value Line, and, and really it's pretty simple. It gives me 15 years of financial data at a glance, and I can look at it pretty quickly and see if I want to go further with my research. Another reason I talk about it here and in seminars is because it's accessible to everyone. You don't need a $2,000 a month subscription to Bloomberg or what have you to get the information. You can go right down to the local library and look at their copy of Value Line if you want. That's why I do it, because everyone can get it. So if you look at Value Line for Snap-on, you'll see that they've grown their earnings on average at about 14.5% per year for the last 10 years. Pretty good. 
and they've grown them by about 16% per year on average for the last five years. And those are pretty impressive numbers. And this year, they should generate north of $12 a share in free cash flow and close to $14 next year. That's darn near a 7% free cash flow yield. They have a great balance sheet. Value line gives them an A plus. That's the highest you can get. They get a hundred for earnings predictability. That's the highest you can get. And they get a two for safety on a scale of one to five, one being the highest. So all high marks in a company that I want to own. And actually I do own it. I eat my own cooking, as they say. One other thing I'll point out is that the officers and directors own almost 4% of the company. So they're clearly going to care about what happens going forward. The stock is at about $185. It's trading at about 15 times this year's earnings, which is a little lower than the average over the last 15 years. And on a relative basis, relative to the market, it's near the bottom of that 15-year range. If you really want to be cheap like me, then you'd wait until the stock is at about 14 times earnings, or I'll do the math for you, about $175 a share. I think it's a good quality company trading at a reasonable price. I think it's one that you want to look at and do your own research on. Remember, You just don't buy something. You need to do your own research and see if it's right for you. Okay, that's about all we have time for today. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.